are Locked On Saints, your daily New Orleans Saints podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is good, Huda Nation and Huda family? Welcome into this Friday edition of Locked On Saints, brought to you by the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ross Jackson here at Ross Jackson, N-O-L-A on Twitter, editor over at CanalStreetChronicles.com and your host covering your New Orleans Saints every single Monday through Friday. And I'm very excited to get back to Sundays being all about you. We're going to start off today's episode with the newest addition to the team and what it means for the Saints defensive line. Then we're going to take our listener calls from the Locked On Saints listener line. We've got a couple of opinions on the newfound quarterback controversy, as well as an update from within the organization on the matter. Thanks to the Athletics, Jeff Duncan. And then finally, we're going to discuss all of that and then wrap up the show with your questions from the Locked On Saints Facebook group. How does the new CBA affect next year's schedule and beyond? UDFAs that have the best shot to make the roster. And what about Aaron Rodgers as an option in 2021? We got all that and a little bit of land yet for you on today's episode of Locked On Saints, your team every day. The Saints continue to fill out their 90-man roster, this time with a six foot eight defensive end. That's our New Orleans Saints lead story of the day today with Ross Jackson of Locked On Saints. The Saints have added a new name to the offseason roster with seven-year defensive line veteran Margus Hunt. Now, Margus Hunt is not a name that a lot of people have heard, although he does have some impressive, so there's some impressive information about him. But before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about his play. So he's been in the league for seven years, started his career with Cincinnati, played his first four years there, and has played the last three years in Indianapolis, played well enough to earn himself an extension and, uh, you know, sign a new contract, but unfortunately was let go and released in March earlier this year. He had signed his two-year extension for $9 million with Indianapolis in March of 2019. So he only played out the first year of that two-year extension. So again, seven years in the NFL, not really a stat sheet that's going to impress you in that time. However, 100 combined tackles, uh, seven and a half sacks, seven passes defended, and then a forced fumble. And then over at Pro Football Focus, you can see that he graded out in his best year at a 75.3 in terms of overall defense, which included an 86.1 run defense grade. He's got 75 run stops over the course of his career, along with 17 quarterback hits. Now, his best two seasons aren't that far removed from today, right? 2018, 2017 are his highest graded years. He followed up that good 2017 with a nice 2018 with a 70.9 overall defensive grade and 82 grade in terms of run defense. But his pass rush was there at 61.8 as well, which was his highest pass rushing grade there. But he dropped off a bit in 2019, uh, didn't really appear in as many snaps either. He was only there for 451 total snaps. Back in 2018, he played 838. So he's a little bit more rotational. Hasn't really missed a ton of time for injury. There was one game in week 11 that he left early because of a foot injury, but then he was back, or rather a knee injury, but then he was back in uh, week 12. So not really a guy that deals with a ton of injury issues, which is good. And then he was sort of set to have this really good year in 2019 to follow up those improving performances in 17 and 
2018 in Indianapolis, but unfortunately only appeared in 12 games and then really only combined for 12 sacks in that time. So why would the Saints sign this guy? Well, I mean, when you take a look at his measurables, there's really become a clear prototype amongst the New Orleans Saints. And I know I talked about this the other day when it came to Gus Cumberlander. And then you look at Corbin Calfusi last year, both those guys standing at six foot seven for Cumberlander, six foot nine for Corbin Calfusi. Uh, Marcus Hunt here stands at six foot eight. So there's that height again for the Saints on the defensive line. Uh, when he came into the league in 2013 at that height, six foot eight, he ran a four six forty, which is kind of wild. He did a lot of track and field when he was younger in 2000. 2005, he was a gold medalist in the discus throw in the Junior European Championships. And then in 2006, he gold medaled twice in both the shot put and the discus throw at the Junior World Championships in Beijing. So he's somebody that really has that track and field background and has been able to put it to use a bit in the NFL. Now, he probably doesn't run a 4-6-40 anymore. That was back in 2013. But, you know, still here in 2020, clearly there's something about him that the Saints like. And clearly there's something about the size that the Saints like on the defensive line. I mentioned about Gus Cumberlander the other day, but even uh, John Sigler took to Twitter about this, and he and I kind of briefly chatted about it, uh, that the Saints really have sort of shifted their prototype of what it is that they look for along the defensive line. And specifically recently, if you look at Corbin Calfusi, who we just mentioned, six foot nine, Gus Cumberlander, who was just signed at six foot seven, uh, 256, Marcus Hunt, six foot eight, now up to 295, uh, Marcus Davenport, six foot six, 265, Carl Grand. Anderson 65260. That's five guys alone that are either currently on the roster or were recently on the roster in Calfusi's case that are six foot five or above. So they really, really like this prototype along the defensive line. And particularly, as you can see with those names on the edges, it's a really interesting thing. And I don't know if it's necessarily just about heights or if it's about run stopping ability, if it's about, you know, the Saints really emphasize getting your hands up at the line of scrimmage. Is it a part of that? Or is it just a part of the mold that they like in terms of what they need in their defensive structure and their build? Certainly getting these massively massive and overpowering guys, there's nothing wrong with that. And so it's a really interesting thing to see them build the team around that. The shortest guy that they have on the defensive line is Noah Spence at six foot two, 263, who still is a big man in that way and a powerful man at that. So the average size that John Sigler calculated out in terms of the edge guys on the defensive end position is a six foot five, 272. So the Saints are liking them big there. Marcus Hunt definitely fills that role. He was very effective in the run game when he was on. So it could be a reason why the Saints are bringing him in. And certainly, you know, you can look at him and call him a camp body if you want. He's somebody that's coming in and can be a part of that rotation and help keep people healthy during training camp when they do resume in July. Nothing wrong with that either way, though. It's interesting to take a look at the sort of prototype that the Saints are building at the position. So Marcus Hunt is the newest signee for the Saints as they continue to build their 90-man roster. I believe they have one roster spot remaining, if I'm not mistaken. So we'll see if and how and when they fill that out, as well as any additional roster moves that may be on the way, such as uh, potentially Larry Warford being dealt. We've heard a lot about that or a lot of conversation about that. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment when we get to the Locked on Saints Facebook group questions, because we certainly have some questions about uh, Larry Warford there. But before we get to that, I want to jump to the Locked on Saints listener line to talk a little bit of Jameis Winston versus Taysom Hill for the heir apparent role behind Drew Brees. Would you rather one, the other, or neither, or some combination of both, perhaps? We're here from a couple of folks that took the time to call into the Locked on Saints listener line to drop their opinion, and we'll talk a little bit more on the situation as well. We got that coming up for you next here on Locked on Saints, your team every day. 
If you're like me, you're probably already thinking about what's for dinner while you're eating lunch. I love food, and that's why I love Postmates. But uh, I kind of love them even more right now because I can get food delivered without having to leave my home, without even opening my door. Given what's going on in the world right now, they've created non-contact deliveries. So now, when I order from local restaurants, everything gets left right outside my door. They let me know. They walk away, I grab it, no contact, nothing to worry about, keeping myself and my family, the people that I love, safe, and Postmates is helping me do that. They also have Postmates Pickup now, which I use when I want to order takeout from my local restaurants. Now listen up, you guys need to be supporting your neighborhood spots right now. I've only been ordering local because it's a great way to support the community, and Postmates is going to help you do that as well and keep you safe. Postmates also doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi, they actually make my life a lot easier by picking up everything that I need at Walgreens or 7-Eleven and dropping it off right outside my door. All you have to do is download the Postmates app on iOS or Android, find your favorites, and get anything that you want delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is also giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use the promo code LOCKEDONNFL, all caps, one word. That's promo code LOCKEDONNFL for $100 of free delivery on your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anything Anytime you need it, Postmate it. All right, y'all. So before we get to the Locked On Saints Facebook questions, I wanted to get our uh, guys in from the Locked On Saints listener line. I took to Twitter and asked people to call in and leave a message based upon how they feel about Taysom Hill being the heir apparent, Jameis Winston being an heir apparent. And uh, we got a couple of really interesting calls here. So I'm going to start off with the homie, uh, Elias J. Williams. You can catch him over at Canal Street Chronicles as well as with the Hudak Confessional Podcast along with uh, Deuce Windham. And they were, you know, they were live last night talking a bit about this too so I was really glad that Elias took the time to call in here's what Elias had to say on the Taysom Hill Jameis Winston conundrum uh, it's a potential quarterback in the Saints room and I'm excited about it I think uh, you need to have a top backup for Drew Brees that is consistent with the game plan that you throw out um, I do believe that Taysom will get a chance to compete for the number two spot he's getting paid right at about eight million per um, I think which fits uh, exactly what he does in the context as far as what he provides as a weapon. But that's also kind of like backup quarterback money, and it's a two-year contract. So the way that it's set up is that, you know, he'll be here in a year, but you also have the potential that James Winston will be here in a year because if he doesn't play, it doesn't necessarily mean that his value may go up. So he will have the opportunity to perhaps return in a year and compete with Taysom Hill to see who wins the starting spot. Great thing about Taysom is that he's had the opportunity and has improved every year that we've seen him, and yet James Winston is a former first-round pick that has an enormous amount of talent and a lot of growing to do, and there is no better quarterback room uh, than the one that he is entering in in New Orleans. So I am very excited about the pickup. I like what Jameis Winston is doing. I like that he didn't necessarily need the money and decided to improve his game. And I think it's a perfect fit uh, for he and New Orleans to see what they can squeeze out of the deal and see if he can resuscitate his career um, and find a new starting gig within a year if this is indeed Drew Brees' last rodeo. So do take care, my friend, and I will talk to you later. Be well. All right, y'all. Once again, that's Elias J. Williams. You can follow him on Twitter at Elias J. Williams. Make sure you use two L's in Elias. And he makes some really good points here, uh, really all over the place. So let's talk a little bit about Taysom Hill's contract and the money. He mentioned $8 million per in terms of guaranteed money. That's absolutely right. That gives you 
basically what you need to look at Taysom Hill and say, yeah, he's probably the number two quarterback. Think about Teddy Bridgewater getting 7.25. It kind of makes perfect sense that Taysom Hill would be getting more than Teddy Bridgewater because he serves that backup quarterback role. But as Elias mentioned, it also quantifies his value as the offensive weapon that he is because you're also you're still going to see him this year. Sean Payton has said it uh, as a receiver, you know, lining up with the offense, lining up as a tight end, lining up in the backfield. You're still going to see it. You're probably just going to see his role and special teams diminish a little bit. So with that, you pay him $8 million, not just because he's your backup quarterback, but also because of what else he provides you. So to use that number to say that, well, the numbers point to him being the only option as a starting quarterback is only a little bit off, just a touch off key because of the fact that he's also getting paid for all of the other things that he does. And I have once said that that money points to him being the backup quarterback, but you also have to stop to consider all of the other things that he's getting paid for to do along the offense as well. He has improved every year in terms of what we've seen from him, just we haven't gotten to see much of him as a passer, which is the thing that gives me pause in terms of him being the backup, uh, the, you know, the heir apparent, right? More than just the backup. I'm talking about this guy being the future of the franchise. And Jameis Winston, on the other hand, as Elias framed it very well, has just as much to work on as he has potential right? For every piece of potential that he has, he's got a piece of his game to improve. If he can show up, do that, impress the coaching staff in that way, then it could be a bit of an inside track on one of the most desirable quarterbacking jobs in the NFL once Drew Brees is indeed gone. So uh, I, I, I like the way that Elias is looking at this. And I think that that's absolutely right. That Taysom might be the favorite. He might be plan A, but certainly Jameis is going to potentially get his shot, especially if his value doesn't increase this year because he doesn't see the field. He can come back to New Orleans in 2021 and actually compete at that point for the actual job itself, as opposed to just focusing on improving his game. And that is more than certainly a sentiment that we'll revisit here in just a moment. But before we get to that, I want to get in our second caller, Hudat Nietzsche from Philadelphia, who called in to speak on Taysom and Jameis. The Taysom and Jameis... Uh, problem, and that's what it is, is a good one to have, I think, for the Saints. I think right now it's Taysom's job to lose, and I think that, you know, all that talk from the team over the past season or so about him being the heir apparent is not just talk. I think that they really do believe in him. And, uh, you know, James Winston comes in off of a 30-interception season, which was wild to watch, but the talent that he possesses is there, the potential that he has is there. And I think it's his to capitalize on. And, uh, you know, I don't see it happening because I think that there's just there's so many things that I just don't know if he can overcome. But if he can, I think he might be the, the clear choice. Uh, as for me, a fan watching, um, I kind of just wanted to be Taysom just because he's, you know, just so much fun. Uh, but without that body of work to draw from, there's really no way to, to project it. So, uh, you know, that's kind of what I think. I think it'll end up being Taysom. I think, uh, you know. Jameis has a shot, though, uh, so we can't just, you know, write him off. So that's it. Who dat, everybody? Thank you so much. Nietzsche, great call, homie, because the perspective that you put that in is so spot on. You look at Taysom Hill as being the front runner, and I've, I've mentioned that a couple of times. We talked about that, that, you know, Jameis Winston has a bit of an uphill battle because of where Taysom is already established. However, Taysom doesn't necessarily have the body of work and the sample size that you feel entirely comfortable at this moment saying Taysom Hill is the guy. But at the same time, the sample size and the body of work that you have from Jameis Winston kind of makes you want to go, he's not the guy at this point because he has so many different things to improve on. So which of those two 
breaks their own mold first? Is it that Taysom Hill finally puts together a body of work that makes you feel comfortable about him being the starting quarterback? Or does it happen first that Jameis Winston breaks the mold of the terrible 30 uh, interception year that he had last year with Bruce Arians, which almost every quarterback in their first year with Bruce Arians has somehow put up astounding interception numbers, just getting used to that sort of no risk it, no biscuit kind of offense. But is he able to show that type of improvement to the coaching staff before Taysom gets the opportunity to put on paper, here's how successful I can be as a passer. And, you know, more than likely, Taysom's going to be the guy that's going to get more shots in the 2020 season than Jameis Winston is to prove that he's the one that has sort of met his threshold before Jameis can show that he's met his. So that's definitely something to watch and uh, something to see. And that's a really good point in terms of here's the two things that these both of these guys need to show us, which one shows it first. You can't rule uh, Jameis out, but it doesn't seem unfair to me to consider Taysom him as the front runner at this point in an early offseason before 53-man rosters of the 2020 season are even decided, right? Far before play. So that's kind of where I'm sitting as well. I do think that Jameis has a shot here, and I think he has a very valid shot, in particular if he's able to come back in the 2021 season. Because again, Teddy Bridgewater's market didn't go up until he was the guy that you know stepped in for uh, Drew Brees for five games. That's really when his market took off, and that's when he got the job that he took with Carolina. Not really the 2020 season where he sat down I'm sorry the 2020 season the 2018 season where he sat down for the entire season which is much of what you're going to see from Jameis Winston so something to keep in mind there and uh, the last thing that I'll mention on this topic I just want to talk about a little bit of news from the organization that came through uh, and this came through uh, Jeff Duncan over at The Athletic he tweeted it out that basically as Elias described and basically as Nietzsche described as well Jeff's report says that Taysom Hill's status as the heir apparent to Drew Brees is currently unchanged he remains plan A but that said Jameis Winston will compete with him for a starting job when Breeze retires. So that's almost exactly the situation that we've been laying out here, that if he's going to compete for the starting job when Breeze retires, does that mean that he comes back in 2021? That's kind of the big thing. Or is he competing at some point this year in order to take over the starting the starting job when Breeze retires? You know, We don't know exactly which way that goes, but that basically sets up the 2020 and 2021 seasons to be a big-time quarterback controversy in New Orleans, which is something we haven't seen since 2006 when Drew Breeze has been in the building. The biggest controversy we've had at the quarterback position in New Orleans is, is Drew Brees going to sign his new, not even is, when is Drew Brees going to sign his new contract? Now we're potentially entering the 2021 season going, is it Taysom Hill? Is it Jameis Winston? Or is it other? We'll discuss one of those other options coming up next as we go through the Locked on Saints Facebook questions. Got a lot of questions. Probably won't get to every single one, but I'll get to as many as I can. Got those coming up for you next year on Locked on Saints, your team every day. All right, y'all, let's wrap up today's episode with your questions from the Locked on Saints Facebook group. Once again, a big thank you to both Elias J. Williams and Houdat Nietzsche for calling in and dropping their thoughts on Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill. If ever you want to contribute to the show like that and you want to hear yourself featured here on the show, just call 504-229-4265, 504-229-4265, and leave a message. That way I can get you featured here on the show. We can talk about, I can answer your questions. You can leave a, a statement, a point, 
we can talk more about it. Whatever it is that you're down for, go ahead and give it a call. 504-229-4265. Alternatively, you can also join the Locked on Saints Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Locked on Saints, which is where I am right now taking some questions from some of the homies, some of the family uh, over at Facebook. I want to start off with a question from Dylan Sharper, who wanted me to speak a little bit more about the CBA and how it affects the 2020 season in terms of the additional games, preseason games, additional playoff games, stuff like that, and then how it affects going forward. So the 17-game season doesn't kick in at the earliest until 2021. That's something that has to be decided upon, voted upon, and everything like that. That was never going to be a 2020 thing, so you don't have to worry about the 17-game season yet. That's something I'm really keeping an eye out on as well when it comes to Drew Brees' retirement. I think that when the 17-game season kicks in, that might be when he's like, I, I'm out, I'm done, I'm Gucci, I'm out of here. Uh, but when it comes to the playoff team, the additional playoff team in each conference, therefore the additional wildcard game in each conference, that begins this season. So you're going to see an additional uh, playoff team in both conferences and more games on that first wildcard Saturday. So with that, you won't see any adjustment to anything else in the season. You're just going to see the additional playoff team and therefore the additional playoff game and only one uh, team that gets the first round by uh, for each conference. Now, the preseason, to my understanding, does not change in terms of it shrinking from four games to three games until the teams enter a 17-game season. I do not believe that it's a three-game preseason, even though you might get an additional playoff game this season. That's my understanding. I believe we're still looking at four preseason games here, but everything that I've read so far in terms of the CBA, the agreements, and then I looked at all the, the shorthands and things that people have put out as well, it seems that that preseason game adjustment doesn't happen until the 17-game season uh, takes place. So what you're expecting to see in 2020, or at least what I'm expecting to see in 2020, is a four-game preseason uh, schedule, a 16-game regular season schedule with one bye week, and then one team gets the first round bye in each conference with the additional conference team in each playoff, and then you get the uh, additional wild card game that way. So that's what I'm expecting to see for the 2020 season. Uh, Zach Smith comes through and he says, what about Drake Kirkpatrick, quality backup? Yeah, he could be. I was talking about some of the guys that could be assets for the Saints along the boundary in terms of developing some uh, insurance back there behind Marshawn Lattimore and uh, Janoris Jenkins. And I mentioned Eli Apple because of his familiarity with the system. I also talked about Prince Mukamara because he's just he's a vet out there and he's still looking for work. Uh, but Drake Kirkpatrick is a pretty good option there as well. Uh, I would rather Eli Apple just because it's somebody that already knows the system, knows the language, knows Dennis Allen's. Uh, kind of vision for the defense, but Drake or Patrick would be a fine option as well. And again, I believe there's still one roster spot open for the Saints as well. So we will see exactly what happens there. Next up, the homie Tomaz is back and he asks, uh, you know, if Breeze gets hurt week one, who takes his place at quarterback for the next few games, Winston or Hill? For me, and that's a really good question. It's something I've thought about a couple of times. For me, I think that Taysom Hill makes the most sense earlier in the season. What I mean by that is that Early on in the year, you have an opportunity to get a look at Taysom Hill. And even if you lose a game, lose two games, it's not going to really hurt your playoff chances if you know that Drew Brees is going to be coming back at some point in the next couple of weeks. It's not really going to hurt you as much. Now, it might hurt you once you get to the end of the season and you look back in hindsight and go, oh, well, if we wouldn't have lost those two games, blah, blah, But you can't really think like that. Uh, that gives you an opportunity early to get a look at Taysom Hill at a time to where if you lose a game or two, you can overcome that once Drew Brees comes back. To me, the further along down the season you are and the more sort of in reach you are of a playoff spot, that's when Jameis Winston becomes preferable to me. Because to me, Jameis Winston can come 
come in and win a game if you need him to, especially with the defense and with the offensive weapons that he has and an actual offensive line in front of him, uh, and potentially now with LASIK eye surgery. But Taysom Hill, I don't know if he can because we haven't seen that from him yet. So I would rather get my looks from Taysom Hill early in the season and then from Jameis Winston later in the season, if that makes sense. For some people, that might be reverse, right? Get Jameis Winston out there when you know that if you drop a couple of games, then it's going to be fine and then get Taysom Hill in there when you need the wins. But to me, it's more so I'm going to take the 5,000-yard passer that's got you know five years of NFL experience and has completed more than six passes in his career later in the season, and then I'll give the guy that only has only completed six passes in his career uh, the opportunity here early in the season to get a good look. That, that's kind of the way that I look at it. There's also the question of changing around offensive scheme and everything as well. I feel like that's easier to do early in the season than it is once everybody's hit their groove and, groove and their rhythm eight nine, 10 games into the season as well. Next, we have a question from Fernando Albino who asks, any chance that the Saints take a shot on Aaron Rodgers if the Packers end up releasing him, if he leaves, or if they end up having to look into some trade options? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think 31 teams would be looking at Aaron Rodgers if he ever becomes available. And that Packers draft is one of my favorite things to talk about in this NFL draft because Aaron Rodgers really went on Pat McAfee's show and said, you know, it'd be pretty dope if they got me some skill position players. And then the Packers were like, bet, here's your 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 heir, here's your successor, here's uh, the running back that will eventually be your successor as running back, and here's Jay Sternberger again. So it was a really interesting sort of approach for me uh, from the Green Bay Packers in terms of how they just simply didn't add to that offense at all in terms of receiving options for uh, for uh, Aaron Rodgers. And I mean, Brett Favre was out there talking about like, look, Aaron Rodgers is done in New, or- in New Orleans, excuse me, in Green Bay and everything. So imagine being able to go from Drew Brees to Aaron Rodgers. That's a pretty good look. It's a very different scenario because now you're dealing with a, a quarterback with a huge personality in Aaron Rodgers as opposed to a quarterback who's a little bit more team focused like Drew Brees. And you're dealing with a guy that's a lot more uh, improvisational in his approach to the game as well in Aaron Rodgers as opposed to the very structure regimented stay in the pocket read through my progressions type of a quarterback that Drew Brees is that's a little bit more of a technician than Aaron Rodgers is but hey man if you're going to switch if you're willing to switch over the offense for a guy like Taysom Hill you're probably willing to switch over the offense for a guy like Aaron Rodgers as well as much as he's not one of my personal favorites he's still a damn good quarterback and then for what I think will probably be the second to last question here Alvaro Lopez asks who are your favorite undrafted free agents so far so for me that's going to be uh, Marcus Callaway this is in no order but Marcus Callaway Calvin Throckmorton there's a name again for you. Malcolm Roach, the defensive tackle out of Texas. There's also Joe Bocci, of course, the linebacker out of uh, Michigan State. And then I'll throw Aaron McGee in there too, the versatile offensive lineman from LSU. And then he also asked, with the talent that the Saints now have at the wide receiver position, do uh, does it seem that Trey Quan Smith may be on his way out? No, 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 I don't think so. I don't think Trey Quan Smith is out at this point. Uh, I think he can certainly get worked out, don't get me wrong. But I mean, in terms of all these other guys, uh, Emmanuel Butler, Tim White, Marcus Calloway, Juwan Johnson, Maurice Harris, Lil Jordan Humphrey, only two of those guys actually have NFL experience, right? So when you look at that, Trey Quan Smith is leaps and bounds beyond those guys in terms of the, his understanding of the system, how to operate on game days, playing under the lights, things like that. And he actually had a really good season, or started off with a really good season the first two weeks last year and then ended up getting hurt and then kind of t- trickled off from there. But no, I think Traquan Smith gets his final shot this year uh, with that offense. And for me, the, the top three guys right now are Michael Thomas, uh, Emmanuel Sanders, and Traquan Smith. But of course, all you got to do is perform better than the guy in front of you. Uh, and then you end up taking Traquan Smith's uh, spot. And then the final question I'll get to here is uh, Clinton Wiley, who asked, 
should, so should the Saints have waited a little bit longer and signed Dalton instead of Mr. 3030, Jameis Winston? Um, no, I don't think so. Uh, you know, you're not going to get Andy Dalton for $1.1 million. You're not going to get Andy Dalton on the intent of coming in and saying, I want to improve my game. So here's a big time discount for my services. Uh, I, I don't think so. I, I think that the Saints made the right choice in going with Jameis Winston. There's also just simply a market for Andy Dalton that wasn't present as present for Jameis Winston. And the other thing too, is that like every Everybody knew Andy Dalton was going to be available. So if the Saints wanted him, they definitely would have waited for him. Um, and, you know, I think he's going to get his contract either with the Patriots or with the Jaguars. Those are the two teams that seem to be in on him the most. There might be some dark horse out there. But I don't think that the Saints needed to get involved in that and potentially overpaid for a guy that's not going to see the field. When instead, you ended up getting a guy that is intent upon being a part of your uh, your culture that's intent upon building his game and that is an option for you as an emergency quarterback at $1.1 million, three, you know, 4.7 at the most. So that's a pretty good fit. So, all right, y'all, I'm so sorry. I'm not going to be able to get to every question here today, but I will carry the rest of the questions over to Monday's episode and we will do that. We don't have Mock Draft Monday to do anymore. So instead, I'll make sure that we get a couple of your questions in on Monday as well. So I appreciate all of your patience. And for those of you that have to wait until Monday, I promise you I will make it worth it and we'll get to those questions questions uh, during that episode and more to look forward to next week because we also have our locked on uh, divisional crossovers continuing as well you heard us do that with the NFC South opponents now we're going to do it with the AFC West opponents that the Saints are going to be taking on so me as well as the host of those shows that cover those AFC West teams uh, will be on for a couple of segments Monday through Thursday it's not going to be the full show uh, but some of them will be one segment some will be two segments we'll just kind of see how long we go and how long we flow so we'll get all of that out throughout the week as well as our usual coverage of the New Orleans Saints as well. And of course, again, your questions on Monday and potentially even more of your questions again next Friday. So as always, y'all, thank you very much for coming through. Once again, I'm Ross Jackson. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Jackson, N-O-L-A. Hit me up. Let me know how the family's doing. Let me know how you're living. Let me know how your mom and them. Tell your friends, family, and fellow Saints fans about the show. And if you haven't already, please take a moment to subscribe and drop that five-star rating and review. I thank you so much for all your support and for helping me grow this family. This has been Locked on Saints and Trust You, That Nation. I'll holla at you.